2: Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the PocoLint podcast. Xiaomi has announced a range of new phones under the 12S moniker and more specifically the 12S Ultra, which is the first ultra-premium flagship of its Leica partnership era. But what does the new partnership mean? Does the new phone have the tech to impress and when will you be able to get one? PocoLint's Cam Bunton joins me to discuss the announcement. Meanwhile, I've been talking to Sam Kemp at EE about how the UK Mobile Phone Network provided the communications infrastructure at this year's Glastonbury what the big trends were and what it tells us for the future and finally pocket Lins max freeman mills has been playing with the new samsung tv gaming hub that's just rolled out on the company's range of 2022 televisions is it any good stay tuned to find out but first back to you cam tell us more about the xiaomi announcement
1: so there were a couple of big things that came out of announcement obviously the the main news is Xiaomi launched this new 12S series of phones, and it includes three different models, which is the 12S, the 12S Pro, and the 12S Ultra. But it's only the last of those three that's really the exciting launch, because right. the 12S and the 12S Pro are essentially just slightly spec-bumped versions of phones that already existed.
2: And so tell us more about the Ultra. That's This is the one with the like a uh, partnership, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean they're all they all have the like a branding on them which means that some of the color and filters have been tweaked to Leica's preference and they've got a special coating on the lenses but yeah the 12 the 12 12s ultra rather is the big daddy it's the one with the one inch sensor that they've spent a lot of money on co-developing with sony um, so that should mean really 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 good photos I don't think there are many other phones out there with a sensor that big um, to memory I think the Sony Xperia Pro, I had one, but they cropped quite heavily into it. So I think mm. this is probably the first of its kind to use the full one inch.
2: And what does that mean for users? You know, looking so, at the phone itself, I mean, the, the camera module. We we always talk about the camera bump that it like, yeah. looks like a camera on the back.
1: Yeah, it's massive, and it needs to be because it's, obviously there's a really big sensor in size there inside there. And what that typically means is that the sensors are bigger sorry, the pixels are bigger, so that means they can capture more light. And it also usually means less noise. You get better quality images because as we've seen when we've pushed the number of megapixels up, sometimes the quality of images degrades because there's so many pixels in a tiny space. Right. So having big pixels means better images, essentially. And it's also the first phone, I believe, apart from the iPhone, it's definitely the first Android phone to support Dolby Vision recording as well. So it's got video chops as well as being able to take really good photos.
2: And uh, do you think, that based on what we've seen from specs, I know we haven't seen the devices themselves, have we? But based no. on the specs, do you think, is this a lot of hot air? Is it a lot of hype? Or do you think it actually has the potential to deliver?
1: I think it has the potential to deliver. If only because the past few years, Xiaomi has generally dev- delivered phones with very good camera systems anyway and so if they're able to lean on leica's expertise in terms of image quality and color processing and the lens quality obviously makes a difference as well then that should enable really good cameras really competitive cameras we saw it in the past when huawei and leica partnered on cameras on their phones it led to eventually there there being some of the best phones on the market in terms of camera performance if you think back to i think it was the p10 delivered some fantastic cameras so we have high expectations that it could deliver really top of the line camera camera performance from the xiaomi as well
2: and launch wise so this was an announcement in china it was a fairly big chinese keynote i think you watched all two three hours of it with complete with sort of Chinese Frank Sinatra impersonations and all the other stuff, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, it was a really long, a really long announcement. And it was mostly a lot of it was talking about this Leica partnership, they went really to town on that. Um, and essentially, I mean, it was it was three phones. And as far as we know, they're staying in China, there's been no news of them launching outside of China. And even when we've asked, um, the the answer seems to be there are no plans at the moment. So it sounds like we're not actually going to get these over here.
2: And why why do you think that is? Or do you think that will change in time?
1: It could change in time. It's something we see from a number of the Chinese manufacturers. It's almost like the Chinese smartphone market moves at a different pace to the Western market. Um, Companies replace phone ranges much quicker over there every six months. Even smaller brands like Realme will do it. They'll they'll release a phone. Six months later, there'll be a new version of that phone. It's just a very, very fast-paced market, I think, is the, is the big difference. So we might see this technology on a phone, but maybe not the 12S Ultra. Maybe we'll see it uh, in next year's 13 Ultra in around the January time, which is when we typically get the big Xiaomi
3: phones over here.
2: Still to come, Max gives us his verdict on the Samsung Gaming Hub.
3: If you've used cloud gaming on your phone or a tablet in your home with your home internet and found it a stable experience... The logic, and Samsung confirmed this, is that it will work exactly that way just on your telly. Because really, the technology and the streamings is the same.
2: For the last 20 years, EE has provided the communications infrastructure for the Glastonbury Festival in the UK that each year sees over 200,000 people attend. And with the rise of smartphones use drastically changing in that time, and our need and want to be more connected than ever, it's actually involved in making sure that the people that do attend can stay connected over the four-day weekend. Following the festival, I caught up with Sam Kemp, EE's Future Propositions and Innovations Director, who also looks after new propositions for the EU brand and how they use their network for things like standalone five G. To find out how they made it possible for festival goers to get good coverage, I started by asking what preparations the company does to get ready for the Glastonbury Festival itself.
0: So, look, it's 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 a huge event, right? Glastonbury. It's a, it's a nearly two hundred and fifty thousand individuals. Descending on on worthy farm, and I think what we, what we do at EE is we look at all major major events across the year and we put in extra capacity across um, festivals, major tournaments, uh, and national events, and even brand activations. We specifically for Glastonbury we put in about seven to ten temporary. Temporary masts. Right. Two of those are already existing today, and those masts that go in allow us to really optimize uh, optimize the network and ensure that we can deliver the sort of optimal performance that we believe festivals goers need on uh, you know today's uh, today's demands on social media and sharing.
2: You obviously do this for a number of different places. Glastonbury has its own sort of excitement because probably the sheer scale of people. So what are the, what are the unique challenges? To getting, you know, making sure those 250,000 people that turn up have the ability to. Make phone calls or share data, or you know, get the internet or what have you. Yeah,
0: indeed. I, th- I think the unique challenges are that it's the, the flow of people. You know, if, with major cities and towns, it's relatively easy for us to predict and and scale our mobile networks to meet the demand and capacity of our of our of our monthly and pay monthly uh, users. But for festival goers, of course, with with many different stages and not knowing exactly which acts are going to drive the big the big crowds in. Mm-hmm we have to kind of really map out the way we're going to deliver the infrastructure to deliver what we believe is that right optimum, right optimum experience. So not only getting in the temporary sites, but getting in the backhaul, doing all the testing with a wide range of mobile devices that we do on site. And then we have all the environmental impacts as well, whether it be weather, wind or other environmental conditions that can degrade a mobile service.
2: And so, in the sense of, of with Glastonbury, was that kind of? Do you talk with the organizers to say, right? Who do you think is going to be the big band that everybody wants to go and see? Oh, these guys are on this stage. To be honest, that's not a huge band that everybody's interested in. So we don't need to. Do, is it? Are you pushing, like, sort of connectivity around in like real time, so to speak? You know, like Paul McCartney was playing on the Saturday night. Did that? Does that drive more? Effort for that, yeah. that couple of hours, and and therefore you you know somewhere else on the site it's not so much. Or how, yeah, do you plan for that?
0: It's interesting because the the networks aren't quite self-optimized networks, so they don't grow and scale as the capacity shifts around the around the site. In fact, the the installations that we put in are are static. However, what we do do uh, is we have a conversation with the Glastonbury teams up front, and we try and understand headline acts, what times there are on at particular stages, who do we think is going to be more popular than not. That's very much a predictive exercise. But what we also do is we run the Glastonbury application itself. So we can look back in historic data and we can plan to see expected volumes for those peak mm. stages that go on through the festival. What's really interesting is when it's not just the... The peak stages that drive the demand it's those returning back to campsites to share pictures and images with loved ones that are outside of the festivals, but it's always the the runways and the people management solutions in terms of moving people from one end of the festival all the way up to the other between headline acts drives up a load of capacity where people are again finding individuals, finding where you know loved ones are or taking that moment to share a picture up onto social media
2: and so how has the usage changed i mean i know he's been involved in in the glassbury partnership for almost 20 years now i think that's that's a big big difference in in the way that the phones that we have capability, you know access to but also the way that we use our phones how how have you seen that that uses change over that over the last two decades
0: hugely Uh, and in fact before the festival we we predicted about 200 terabytes of data to actually be consumed and used at the festival and the numbers are in and we're about 196 terabytes of data that was consumed which is an incredible amount and in fact we had a little bit of fun earlier just trying to decompose and and realize what 196 terabytes of data actually is and that's about eight billion instagram posts or (laughs) six six million downloads and compared to 2019 uh which saw about 100 terabytes of data it's a it's a twice increase on on 2019's uh data so
2: yeah and so is that what's kind of what were the big trends in terms of was it instagram posts or are people can you see that granular of whether people are taking photos and uploading them, or whether that's text or phone calls or just people streaming concerts, you know, like watching iPlayer elsewhere around the thing because they can't get to that that's, that that gig.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a hybrid between um, application usage and social media, so we we tend not to dive into, you know, what are individuals specifically doing. But the big social platforms, are the Instagram live streaming, Snapchat, um uh, YouTube uploads uh, are of course within the in the top number, but of course voice calls um, voice calls are are held over data channels these days, and we saw 3.4 million voice calls made over the Glastonbury weekend, mm. um, and that's an increase of about 200,000 compared to 2019. So this this increase we're seeing is not just application and data sharing usage; it's just general communications so even an increase in voice traffic um, has increased over 2019.
2: Now you always get this thing of when there's lots of people and you try to send you know a message or you try to talk to someone you can't get through there's you know just the sheer numbers yeah. of people trying to make that call what is this is probably a, a question you might not be able to answer but what what do people do at an event like this that that doesn't help <laughs> that, you know that, that really just kind of pushes extra demand i mean sometimes if you're if you're on a website for example and it's not loading hitting that refresh over and over again actually doesn't help you because it it kind of clogs the server up even more and so is there anything that people do at events like this where you just think oh if, if only they'd stop doing that then everybody would be able to get through and it'd be fine
0: yeah, we're, we're relatively lucky because the, the, the mechanics of the way of mobile technology works these days that, you know, as many times as you press a, a, a refresh button, it doesn't constantly send a request back to the network because of the intelligence at the application level. However, definitely video upload um, and the request for network bandwidth is, is an activity that the network will constantly look to serve. Because right. unlike scrolling an Instagram feed where you can keep you know pulling down on the feed and if there just isn't the bandwidth there to serve it, it will go through its um, specific cyclic check and wait for it to be uh, a bandwidth to become available. But for video um, upload, the, the more users that request that type of service from the network, the network sees it as a priority and starts to then allocate, um resource to those types of activities and that can definitely see some size uh, types of cpu uh, utilization move up both on the device and on the network for those types of requests but but broadly speaking the there aren't many transactions which individuals can really you know affect the overall performance of a network
2: now we're a couple of years into 5g and you know uh, and all the other stuff are you seeing what did you see in quite a strong, you know, pickup of 5G usage at the show? You know, not the show, the the festival, or or is it still predominantly kind of you know three G and four G usage?
0: No, I mean, look, as you know, we we launched five G back in twenty nineteen, and I was I was very surprised and pleased to see that a good fifteen to twenty percent of the traffic we carried, we EE carried at the at the festival was was five G traffic, and those that were on five G, we know were able to execute and undertake a, a better performance because they were able to get access to greater bandwidth greater capacity and greater speed Uh, and of course with greater speed allows individuals to complete their transactions that little bit quicker than on 4g so it's it really helps from an efficiency perspective because then they can fall back to 4g for those less intensive uh, applications but about but about 15 to 20 percent of the traffic we carried was was over 5g so there's still a healthy and strong uh, 4g presence within our base um, but of course, the networks, even on four G, delivered a, a nearly faultless experience over the festival weekend.
2: And you talk about, you know, earlier you're talking about lots of different stats, and you've you've had some fun with them and, and things like that. What what's been the biggest surprise to you when you look over, you know, the festival and and how it went? Is there anything that you thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's something we need to be aware of for uh, perhaps next time. I think I think that when we look at the
0: data and we see this sort of. Two fold increase in both data usage and, and still, you know, a 2000 increase voice call um, uplift over 2019. I think the, the beauty between, of a um, festival weekend where you immerse yourself in some of the world's and UK's best acts in the musical arena, coupled with high end technology, because seeing individuals sharing pictures with loved ones that aren't at the festival or locating individuals that have been lost, maybe going to the bar, or even sitting on the shoulders of others with a phone in one hand, trying to both celebrate the moments of being in front of the pyramid stage, but also capture that present moment for uh, for future use, just leads us to believe that you know this integration between in real life experiences and capturing those moments is not going to be something that slows down. And I'm incredibly excited because I think some of the future technologies that are ahead of us are gonna allow that integration between sort of disconnected festival experiences and capturing moments to a, to a level that really allows the customer to do a lot more, um, a lot easier.
2: Samsung announced and released its new gaming hub swiftly at the very end of last month, avoiding the sort of long wait that we sometimes experience with interesting new features coming to its range of televisions. It means that anyone with a Samsung 2022 TV, that's one that you bought this year, can now take advantage of some swift gaming features within the TV itself. Pogalint's Max Freeman-Mills has already had a play and joins us to tell us more. So, Max, probably let's just start. I know I've kind of detailed slightly there, but let's start by explaining what it is, what it allows you to do, and then we can talk about what you thought about it.
3: Yeah, that's probably smart. I mean, (laughs) Gaming Hub is is quite a nice little name, but until you see it in action, it's quite hard to get a grip on exactly what Samsung's offering. Effectively... Hmm. It's a new section on your smart TV alongside sort of input sources and settings. So it's really right in the home menu of your TV that offers you a whole range of gaming-related apps. So the real headline grabbers here is that there are a few game streaming apps built right into the hub, meaning you can use services like Xbox Cloud Gaming and Google Stadia and a couple of others without any
2: hardware at all beyond a Bluetooth controller. So, so in that sense, you've got you've, you've everybody that's got a this year's television from Samsung now has effectively an Xbox in the TV. That's right. I mean this it,
3: it's surprising in that we've known that cloud gaming is a huge focus for Xbox kind of in the future pipeline. but this almost feels like we're skipping a couple of years forward. It's just it's just suddenly out there. you you mm-hmm. need no hardware. It's no longer tied to a phone or a tablet it's right there on your TV. There are a few shortcomings compared to playing on, for example, an Xbox Series X. But if you don't want to spend £450 on a console, this is a really good way to to get started, especially if you've got what admittedly is, by definition, quite a fancy television. (laughs) Because for now, it's only on the, the newest of Samsung's always quite premium TVs. Um, but it's a, it's a really impressive feature and yeah, getting hands on with it was, was an interesting experience because it's one of those products that, uh, is impressive almost because it just does what it says on the tin.
2: And that was going to be my next question. We've kind of explained what it does and how it works and what's is, does the hype and does, let's start that again. Does the reality live up to the hype? Well, this is the thing. I, I actually think it, I think it may. So
3: long as you know the restrictions that you're working with, and, and I'll detail those first because there aren't that many of them, the, the most fundamental is that the game streaming, which is all done via the cloud, is up to a limit of 1080p resolution right now. It can go to 60 frames per second, so it's nice and smooth, but you're not going to get the incredibly crisp 4K resolution that you could get from a, an actual physical console at the moment. If that's fine, and it will be for many people, the service works just as it, as, as it's advertised, all you need is minimum of 10 megabytes per second. And ideally Samsung says really it's it's 20 plus. And whether you're on Wi-Fi or wired, you're gonna get a a stable streaming experience. So I played uh, a bunch of Halo Infinite using it, uh, connecting an Xbox controller through Bluetooth to the TV, which is also a nice and simple process. And there was pretty much no discernible latency in my controls. I could tell that it wasn't 4K, but I was prepared for that. So that's not really a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, I asked them if 4K was something they were working on. And unsurprisingly, not only did did, did an Xbox spokesperson clarify, yes, we definitely are working on it. They were happy enough to say it's not a matter of if it'll come. It's a matter of when it will come. This is a huge initiative for Xbox. So any feature you encounter that you think might be missing, there's a pretty high chance that they know it and that it will
2: come eventually. And so you said though that you you played and you felt that it was responsive and all the other stuff. You played the Xbox. Is it the same across the other services that are in that gaming hub? Is it is there kind of just apps as well that you can just play without having to sign up to other streaming services? And 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 how easy was it to use? So.
3: It's it's very hub is actually the right word in that it hosts whatever apps are kind of compatible. So at the moment, the four that we were able to see present were Xbox game and um, cloud gaming, Stadia, NVIDIA, GeForce Now and Utomic. They're, the language being used means that it's perfectly possible there will be other services, although really the first three of those are the kind of most commonly used ones. Uh, I wasn't able to get hands on with anything other than Xbox cloud gaming. Having said that, I my experience of cloud gaming was very much if it were if you've used cloud gaming on your phone or a tablet mm-hmm. in your home with your home internet and found it a stable experience. The logic and Samsung confirmed this is that it will work exactly that way just on your telly because really the technology and the streamings is the same. So If you want, for example, to to check if one of these services would be a a fit for your home, there's nothing stopping you using it on whatever hardware you do have now and waiting for a potential arrival on your TV. Because the, the other elephant in the room from Samsung's point of view is that this tech is very likely to make it to other TV platforms. There's no exclusivity that I can discern with Samsung. I asked Xbox if they were working with other TV partners. They are. So you can bet that, you know, other big TVs will be getting these features. Eventually, it's just that Samsung has managed to get things in line nice and quickly and is the first out of the gate. Um, so it's, it's an interesting, I mean, I, think, I just think it's a very interesting step. As I say, it's come earlier than I expected in the in the lifespan of, of Xbox cloud gaming. But it really does feel, you know, kind of futuristic when you're doing it. The fact that there's no set-top box, there's no bulky, power-hungry Uh, console at all you're
2: just in and gaming well that's it for this week's show until next time thanks for listening pip pip